0: Okay, Revelations chapter 3. This is a chapter that has three churches mentioned to it. But, But these churches that Jesus was speaking to represents not only the churches where they were at and different things going on in the churches, but the spiritual condition of the churches mentioned. Each church mentioned throughout the book of Re- the first half or the first part of the book of Revelations represents the spiritual condition of the church ages until Jesus returns. That's what this is meant to show us. The spiritual condition... Uh, Of the Christian life at the time, at the era of time, in each era of time throughout the church age. So for the last 2,000 years, you can take every church age and you can put it in one of these categories of the churches mentioned here. Everybody that I know of loves to say that we are the Philadelphian church age. Because the Philadelphian church age, and no wonder people like to think that we're the Philadelphian church age. Because, you know, there's really nothing too bad said about it as far as Jesus goes. But when I describe the Philadelphian church age and then I describe the Laodicean church age, you're going to be able to clearly see that we represent the Laodicean church. Okay, The spiritual condition of Christian life. Your spiritual, the the overall 30,000 foot view of the church and its spiritual condition will fit into one of these categories. And you can see it down through time. If you study church, if you study the evolution of the church of Jesus Christ, you will see clearly from the time that Jesus is here till right now where we, we are at, each era of time is able to be put into one of these church ages. So he says this to the church, and I'm going to read you to the church of Philadelphia. This is what he says. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. The angel of the church is, is basically like the pastor or the representative of this church age. Okay. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. He says, what he opens, no man can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, he says to this particular church, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. That has not happened to us. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon, and hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will, write them, I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone who has ears must hear and listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. That is a very important saying you have to listen with spiritual ears to understand what he's saying. You have to listen to what the Spirit is saying. Now listen to the Laodicean description. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things that you do, listen to this, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. Boy, how many people how, how many people's heard these prosperity sermons for the last many, many years? He says, Jesus said this. He says, you say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Does that describe us to a T today? Absolutely. This is us. Okay, listen to this. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. If there's ever been an identity problem amongst the church people, it's in the church world today. People don't even understand their spiritual condition, nor can they even see it. They, don't, they, they try to think that based on what they have and are doing physically in this world, that that's indicative of the condition of their spirit. And that's not right. But that's exactly who we are because we are getting a tainted gospel preached to, to um, most everybody out there. Gets a, 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 nobody knows what to believe anymore because the truth isn't hardly preached. Listen at this. He says, so I advise you to buy gold from me, he says. Not from people and not from things you might get in this world, but from me. By my gold, Jesus says. Listen to this. Gold that has been purified by fire. There isn't anything that you can get on this earth that is 100% pure. Not even gold. But Jesus said, By my precious stones. By the precious gift that I can give you. Get this from me. Listen to this. Then you will be rich. Hmm. How many times have you heard me preach that sermon? Then, he says, also buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. What? We're not naked, Pastor Jay. We're sitting here with our clothes. Well, see, that's because you're only thinking of the physical. Listen to this. You will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see, he says. See what? I can see clearly, Pastor Jay. I see you standing there in a pulpit, but, but do you see, spiritually speaking? Can you see? Do your eyes even work in the Spirit that you can see yourself and what condition you really are you might drive a brand new truck. You might have a brand new home. But that, that doesn't mean you have anything. Okay, listen to this. I correct and discipline everyone I love. Wait a minute. Why, why in the world would he say this? We're going to talk about this here in a little bit. People don't want to talk about conviction anymore. People don't want to talk about correction. Everybody's going to heaven. It's a, it's a day of prosperity. I, I'm good. I'm, I'm okay. Nothing bad's gonna happen to me. me. If, if something bad happens in my life, or if I get corrected for something, that means that, that that can't be grace. That can't be God. Listen to this. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Indifference. Boy, I can't wait to break this down with you. He says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together. As friends, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat on my sat, sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who has ears must hear and listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So moving right along, I think without a doubt, anybody with any real discernment can understand that's us, okay? We are the Laodicean church era, okay? We have a problem in the church era that we're living in with indifference. We have people to what Jesus describes. Now understand, I want you to understand this very clearly. This is Jesus' description of people in this church age. This is not mine. So don't look at me and think that Pastor Jay is casting a dark cloud upon us. I am not. This was our Lord Jesus Christ saying this about you and me. We have a problem with indifference now, according to the Laodicean church era, there are basically, <clears throat> uh, the Christian life has three spiritual temperatures based on what Jesus said. Hot, lukewarm, and cold. That's what He's seen. That's what He said. Hot, lukewarm, and cold now, if I'm going to talk to you about the Laodicean church, their their problem was because of their indifference, their indifference was caused by their lukewarm heart. They knew I've said this many times, they knew Jesus as a fact, but they really didn't serve him as savior. So many people know about Jesus, can tell you all about Him. Do you know that even the the Bible says this? The Bible says that even the demons in hell know who Jesus is, and they believe in Him, but they're not going to heaven. Right? So, if I just say to you, believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven, that's a lie. That's that's not the full truth. You can believe in Jesus and go to hell. Because you can believe in Him as a fact that He was a historical figure, that, that He did live, but you've not trusted Him to be your personal Lord and Savior. Your belief in Him was not transferred to your heart in faith believing. There's a difference in believing and faith believing. Believing with your heart that you need Jesus to save you from your sins. That you yourself are a sinner. That you're you're not destined for heaven when you die. And you realize within yourself that you're missing something. That you need to be saved. Saved from what? Going to hell, right? You need to be saved. And the Savior has came not for you to acknowledge him but for you to believe in him whole different ball game to the indifferent person to the person who's lukewarm they have a knowledge and a sort of belief in Jesus but they've not fully committed themselves to Jesus They have not said, you are my Lord, capital L. You are my master, my guide, my God. In you, I'm going to trust and I'm going to do whatever you want to do, Lord. They have not done that. They reserve, the indifferent person reserves their own heart for their own taking. They want to give Jesus a little bit, but they don't want to give him all. Because they want to keep some of that in there for themselves. Right? So, let's take a look at these. Jesus says, I know the things you do in verse 15. That you are neither hot nor cold. Listen, He says, let's break this down. I know the things you do. He said, I know the things you do. Say that with me. I know... The things you do. Okay, why is that statement important? I'm glad you asked. Because what you do is indicative of how and how much you believe. If your life consists of no prayer hardly at all, hardly ever reading your Bible, Rarely coming to church. Listen, let me ask you a question. What have you done for Jesus lately? Do you think you coming to church is doing something for the Lord? Everybody go like this. This is a family feud, red X. Everybody do that with me. You coming to church isn't you serving God. That is not the truth. What have you personally Jesus says I know the things you do that you're neither hot nor cold The interesting thing about Laodicea is he Jesus was speaking to these people in a form that they could understand they were known for their pure cold water and they were known for their black their black fabrics that they could they could produce there but by the time that the, the water was, was moved from one place to another, it was, it was still pure water, but it was lukewarm. So, let me ask you again. What things have you done that proves Jesus Christ is in your heart? Things that you do because you feel compelled to because Jesus is in your heart the things that God has commanded, have you submitted yourself in servitude to Him, bowed the knee and said, Lord, you send me, I'll go. Have you done that? How many people have you personally led to Jesus Christ to be saved? That is your main mission. If you say zero and you've been saved and you've been walking with the Lord for years and years, guess what? You're a non-performer. He says, I know the things you do. How can you have Christ in your heart and be given eternal life and experience the good things? This is in the book of Hebrews chapter 6. How can you know Jesus in the free pardon of sin, be on your way to heaven, be ready to go, to step into the corridors of, uh, of, of the kingdom of God, have Jesus Christ, the maker of this whole world, in your heart, living with you, and you do not do as He says. There's a problem with that. And that problem isn't with God, it's with us. So Jesus says right here, He says, I know the things you do. Listen. We watch the patriarchs through the annals of time and as we go back in history and look at them, listen, do, do you think God is... How is how's He going to grade your performance in this life when, when, when Andrew was hung upon a cross for his belief in Jesus and he, was, and he was roped to one and he hung there for over a week preaching the gospel from a roped cross. And there were so many people getting saved that he's preaching as he was up there dying that finally when enough people got converted, they took him down and he died. How do you stand up against that? How do you stand up against the Apostle Peter? You say, well, these were apostles. No, they were human beings with the same calling and the same Lord in their heart as you got. Hang upside down, crucified on a cross because he said, I am not worthy to hang the same way my master did upon the cross. Hang me upside down. Because I am not worthy to even look like him on this thing. And he hung there and he died. Or the Apostle Paul. Who who preached sermons from a cistern beneath the ground. In a a, a sort of dungeon. Who wrote some of the most eloquent books of the Bible to his his prodigy Timothy. Who who we have his writings. And he was able to maintain his, his presence and his state of mind and his spirituality. Yet... His head was cut off by an executioner. How do you stand up against that? How do you stand up against the the, the young pastor Timothy who was bludgeoned and beaten to death and drugged through a town and beaten with a fuller's club and died because of his faith in Jesus Christ? Because he was stood against what the normal people out there, or what they call normal, the world said, that you shouldn't do. Listen, you can't be going out there and be doing all this stuff and preaching this gospel. We don't like that. That's not politically correct. He did it anyway. And because he thought it better to serve God and please God than man. Which is what we're told to do. How do you stand up against that? How do you stand up against the patriarchs of our faith who who nobody even knows their names, but they were killed in Colosseums, Roman Colosseums? You think God who sees yesterday and today, He sees them in the same moment of time. God is back there right now in the past, listening, listening to the screams of normal, average Christian people who were being fed to lions and pigs who were nearly starved to death as they were devoured in front of Roman crowds. God still hears their screams and sees their bloody corpses laying there on the ground and then watches you and your indifference and not even wanting to come to church. How do you stand up against that? What do you think God thinks of that? Or the impaled bodies of those people hanging in Nero's botanical garden who were Christian people. He ran a pole up their hind end and stood them up and caught them on fire so that he could walk at night and look at his flowers. And I can't even get people to come to church. How do you think God sees you compared to them? When you don't even think enough of him to mention his name to someone who's lost. Boy, now that brings us to reality, doesn't it? You know, I I could have looked at yesterday and just cursed the day. But by the time I realized what was going on, as I was down there, I told the man, I said, I thank God. For breaking down in this terrible heat. I was ordained to come here to you. Maybe God just wants you to be a little uncomfortable. Just a little. Can can you just be just a little? Just a little. Can God just inconvenience you and just. can, Can he interrupt your schedule just for a smidgen? And maybe ask you to do something a little different. Than what you're typically used to. just a little. So the very right out of the gate Jesus says, I know the things you do. You always remember that church. You always remember that Jesus knows what you do because what you do proves what you believe. Let me tell you something. If you ain't doing something for Jesus, how much do you really believe? In a world that is falling apart. In a world filled with violence. And you don't think there's no room for prayer and and, 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 and ministry? Listen to this. He says, I know the things you do. You're neither hot or cold. You're not on fire for me. You're not out doing my will and with fervency. You're not thrilled and excited to be a child of the kingdom. No, not, you've not allowed me to bless your heart like that. You don't even feel me in your presence. You don't, you don't even acknowledge me. Even when you sit down to eat, you don't even think about me. When you sit down to eat, do you thank God? And I mean really thank Him. Thank Him every time you take a drink of water because if you didn't, you'd die, man. He says, you're not hot and you're not even cold. The on-fire Christian, what does he do? That on-fire Christian says, Lord, I'm yours. I know know that what I have in my heart right now, people needs. I know that what, what you've done for me, the whole world needs to experience this. I know, Lord, because I've never tasted the living waters, but I have tasted it now and I know that it is the thirst That every lost soul has. And they need a drink. I know Lord that since you gave me the bread of life. And I ate from it. And my soul has changed. I had somebody tell me. I had somebody tell me just recently. That they, they couldn't tell when they got saved. Well then you ain't. Because that's an unmistakable thing. You can't be born again and go. Hmm I wonder if I'm born again. Folks, listen, that's unmistakable. When Christ comes in, the maker of the universe, you change. Old things pass away and all things become new. Have you had that? Come on, be honest, be real. I've known of people that has went to church their whole life, thought they were saved and weren't. Because they realized, you want to know the hardest person to get saved? A religious person someone who's went to church their whole life but they've never committed themselves personally to Jesus Christ. They thought they were in church, they thought they were good, they were the moral fallen. They were taught how to be churchy. They were taught how to be good without being good. Those are the most Those are the people that's in the most peril. Because it's difficult to bring them to a place to understand you're poor, blind, miserable, and naked. It's so difficult to get someone like that. I can take an old drunk. I can take an old drug user. I can take a prostitute. And I can have prayer with them. They know that they're bad. But you take somebody who's religious and they think they're great. They think they're fantastic. I'm good. Look at me. I ain't done that. No, I ain't stolen. Listen, if I asked you personally, every person in here, have you ever stolen anything? And if you were honest, you will say yes, because everyone in here has stolen something. If I was to ask everybody in here, have you ever told a lie? You would say, yes, at some point I've told a lie. Just one of those sins sends you to hell. Okay, but you've done two of them so far. If I was to ask everybody in here, have you ever coveted another man's goods? Have you ever looked at something and said, man, I want that? Sure you have. So far, you're a lying, thieving, covetous. Have you ever looked at a woman or a man and lusted after them? You have. Okay, now you're an adulterer and fornicator. So there's four of the commandments. Need I go on? By your own admission, you're all those things. But you say, well, I've never murdered a person. Oh, yes, you have. You've never talked bad about someone to someone else and ruined their reputation. You killed that person spiritually. That was murder with your tongue. Have you ever thought in yourself, hated someone so bad and, and could see yourself just taking this person's life? A lot of people do that too. The Bible says as a man thinks, so is he. If you've done it up here, you've done it already. You see that's the great thing about the scripture. The great thing about this is that condemnation that I'm speaking of should should bring you to Jesus so that he can save you. Because you can see now that you're a lying, thieving, murdering, covetous, fornicator who needs Jesus. You should be at this altar, man. Because without him, you're not going. That's a one-way ticket to heaven and if you ain't got the ticket, you're going to hell. Do you realize that? That's just four or five of the Ten Commandments. Look, I'm not even off the first couple of words. Good gracious, thank you, Lord. He says here, You're neither hot or cold. That hot Christian says, Lord, I'm yours. Let's let's go. Let's get this done. No matter what, God, I'm your servant. You ask, I'm doing it. Send me. I'll go. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. I'm not a hearer of the Word. I'm a hearer and a doer of the Word. The lukewarm person says, eh. They're unaffected. They're indifferent about it. They could go either way. Ah, really, I would really like to go to church today, Pastor Jay, but daggone it. I broke, I broke a nail. Can't make it. Darn, I just remembered. Whatever. Indifference. If you thought your life depended on something, would you do it? But because you don't really believe that with all your heart, we don't. And we sit idly by. Till your last breath. This is how much you should love God. Till you take your last breath. On your deathbed. If God's given you breath to speak. You should be trying to get someone saved. Because He's worthy. And that soul is worthy that you're talking to. Your life should be seasoned with the grace of Jesus Christ. And any man that looks upon you should see him in you. That's what a Christian is. Jesus says, this world will be able to identify my disciples for the great love that they have for one another. A love that the world cannot comprehend. I told two men I had met in one day yesterday that I loved them. In a minute. And I hugged their neck. And I had prayer with them. That's what you should do. No one else was available to help me. But this Christian was. Because he understood the concept that what you do to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Do you realize that? That as a Christian person, when you love and help your Christian brothers and sisters, you're not doing that to them. You're doing that to Jesus. So for the gift, a monetary gift, you say, hey, go have dinner today. You did that to the Lord. You didn't do that to the person. You have got to see spiritually when you fix somebody's car who's stranded with their grandchildren and a puppy. You did that to Jesus. Do you realize that? When you serve a meal to someone who's hungry, you did that to Jesus when you do this to your brothers and sisters. That's the kind of love that you should have for one another. And when the church operates like that, then nobody suffers. Everybody's okay. Everybody's taken care of. When you fix a door, because that's your talent. You did that to the Lord. Anything you do to one another, you do it unto Jesus. Remember that. I'm going to stop right here. I'm 31 minutes in according to my recording. I'll just have to pick up where I left off here and go sermon number three on the moral fallen. And I'll stay in the Laodicean church here because there's a lot to see here. Okay? Okay. There's three spiritual conditions of the heart. Three spiritual temperatures of a Christian's heart. I want you to remember this. Hot, lukewarm, which is indifferent, and a cold heart. When I was young, one of the sayings we used to have when I was in high school was, man, that's cold hearted. You ever heard that? Man, that's cold hearted. What do you mean by that's cold hearted? That's like someone does something without any love or care for you at all. They just tear you up. Three temperatures. You're one of them. So am I. Which one are you? Are you hot? Are you lukewarm? Or are you cold?